to hear from God this morning? Go ahead and pull out your Bible, something to take notes with. We're a note-taking church, amen? We don't believe in judging people, only people who don't take notes, so it's a joke. Go ahead and uh, take out something to take notes with in your Bible. Open up the, uh, you're going to be shocked when I say this, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I was catching up with a friend this week on the phone. Uh, he pastors a, a church in Texas, the College Station Antioch Church that we came from a couple years ago. Shout out College Station. Uh, we love it. And uh, he was asking, you know, how's life? How are things going? We were just catching up a little bit. He was asking about how church was. And, of course, I told him church is amazing. And it's awesome, and it's like the best people ever, and this is fun, and we love this. At least Heather and I do. <laughs> he said, this church is amazing, and he's like, cool, cool, you know, what, what have you been preaching on recently? And I was like, oh, you know, just nothing really, just sin, and uh, women, and uh, love, and sexuality was last week, and this week is race. So, you know, nothing too big, and he, he just, he's not a quiet guy, and it was silent. And he goes, wow, okay. <laughs> so that's what we've been talking about recently, if you've missed our cultural architect series. Has anybody been encouraged by the last few weeks? We are having a great time talking about people who, uh, as the people of God, God has not called us to remove ourselves from the culture, criticize our culture, complain about our culture, but he has called us to be architects of the culture of the kingdom of God. And uh, it's easy to do one of those other three things. It's the hard thing to actually build the kingdom of God, uh, but I know some of you, enough of you to know that everybody in here, it's okay, we do hard things. That's what we do. And uh, God has called us as his people to represent his kingdom, and it is really fun, and it's a blessing and an honor to represent the kingdom of God. And there's just a lot of things in our world that can be hard to talk about. And so we're trying to be honest about a lot of those things. Uh, the things I listed out so far, there's no way we could hit everything. But we are trying to figure out how do we just have honest conversations about some of the stuff uh, that, that God's called us to do. Because really, honestly, it feels like so many times the culture God has called us to live seems to come in direct like conflict with the culture that we're living in and the momentum and and sometimes we try to do our best and things, we, we feel misunderstood or, or we just do something wrong one time. We're trying to do it right, but we did it wrong. You, I don't know, like anybody else? I mean, I know it's like a, I'm a preacher on a mic, but I'm just trying to be honest. Like it's hard sometimes, but that just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't do it. And so we are, uh, we've been in Genesis 1 and 2 every week uh, because that's a great place to start. God's original design for things. And how many of you know the word of God is relevant God is trying to speak to you today. There's too many uh, thoughts out there of like, oh, I wish God would say something about what I am going through today. He does. And uh, that's what we're talking about. Amen. So we're going to talk about uh, race this morning. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a really tense topic and situation in the world that we're living in today. And I, I want to preach a message. I've kind of given this one a title. Uh, I haven't given the other ones a title. I don't know why, but this morning, I guess, feeling really ambitious, you know. Uh, I want you to write this at the top of your notes, more than skin deep. It's more than skin deep as we talk about that this morning. Because I, I don't know if you have realized this, but so much of the conversations about race and racial reconciliation, racial tension, so many of those conversations happening in our lives, they revolve around the color of someone's skin, right? I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here. But, but if you listen closely and you try to listen between the lines of, what is being said from different people, from different sides maybe, or different backgrounds, different races. If you, if you try to listen to what's being said between the lines, what, the things that people really want to talk about are much more than skin deep. 
nobody's really looking to talk about just the color of their skin. There's a lot of deeper conversations. Like, we talk a lot about skin color, and, and usually it used to be, even, even seemed like up till 18 months ago, pretty much all the conversations were about uh, white and black. But even over the last 18 months, it's like, it's not, obviously there's not more races, but it's now like, it's just a more, com- it just keeps growing. Like, the, the tensions between everybody seems to continue growing. And, and these conversations, that it's not just about skin color. People want to talk about things more than skin deep. Like we want to, people want to talk about history. They want to talk about personal experience or, or emotions, um, justice or, or a lack of justice. People want to talk about fear. People want to talk about pain. People want to talk about loss. People want to talk about societal and political systems. We want to have conversations about dignity and value. All of these conversations are much more than skin deep. And that's why it's so complicated. That's why it's so tense. Like I said, if you've been following along this series at all, we've been in Genesis 1 and 2, and so we're going to read a handful of verses in Genesis 1, and uh, we're not even going to make it to chapter 2 this morning, just chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verses 26 through 28 this morning. The Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. Where did I go? Birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The series that we've been doing is built on two really simple truths that we find in Genesis 1 here. Um, if, if we're going to construct the culture of God's kingdom, we have to fully wrap our lives around two very simple truths. Number one, we didn't make all of this, and all of this is not about us. I'll rub you. Like, but I'm important. Yes, you are. You're very important, and the world doesn't revolve around you <laughs> or me, right? We've got to understand God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything that we see. Therefore, it's really good to go to God and submit our opinions and thoughts and desires and preferences to him because if he made it, he knows how it works best. And sometimes my preferences or thoughts may come in conflict with what he says. Somebody's got to give and it's not going to be him, right? Because he built the whole thing. So uh, we we believe that we need to go to God first if we're going to create the culture of the kingdom of God. We didn't make all of this. This isn't all about us, which means we're not in charge, which means we need to submit ourselves to the word of God. That's truth number one. Number two is the, the culture of the kingdom of God is built on this other truth that a person has value simply because he or she is a person. Like we've talked about already, regardless of, of a person's sin or a person's gender or regardless of how easy it is to love any given individual at a given time, regardless of sexuality, regardless of race, a human being has value because God loves that human being. 
And the things that we have talked about, the things that kind of build on the foundation of a human being a human don't change the value. We, we've talked about how we can be different, but that doesn't mean that we have different value. And so many of the conversations and concepts and tensions in our world is because it, it's like easy to say this stuff. It doesn't sound radical at all. Like you didn't have to come to church to hear like, hey, everybody should have value. But, but, but I believe maybe we could just be, a, be the people of God and be a church where maybe we're not just saying it, but we're actually living it. Like all you have to do is hear two people say, every human has value, and then let them disagree on a political issue, and that goes right out the window. I know you've never done that, but sometimes people out there, they look at a Facebook post and all of a sudden we're not friends anymore. Again, I know it's never happened to you. We get rubbed the wrong way, right? Like, like, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy and everything's kumbaya all, all the time. I'm just saying we can't let these things change the value of a human being, increase or decrease their value based on an agreement we have or a disagreement that we have. These are two radical truths that do not sound radical at all because just about everybody's trying to say it, but I believe God is in heaven trying to put the wind of the Spirit of God behind his people to say you can live it. Show the world how to live it. Show the world how to submit your own self to God first. Let, uh, demonstrate to the world how to let somebody's value not be impacted just because they're different. Like, will you love people because they're people and I love people, says the Lord. And we have the opportunity to do this. If God is calling us as his people to be architects of a culture that doesn't just talk about this stuff but lives this stuff, then we have to submit ourselves to God and we have to buy into the truth at the deepest level, no matter how offended we get, confused we get, how much we don't understand about this situation or that situation at the very core of every conversation we could ever have with every human being, you have value. You have value. And I'm thankful that I'm standing in a room this morning where I know like some of this stuff could really go unsaid. Um, but we're going to go ahead and say it anyways, especially this next part, that racism is wrong. And I know I'm thankful that like, this isn't like a tense thing in our church where like, I'm having conversations with people and it's like, man, we've missed the boat on that one, right? But it's, we're not talking about what happens in this room. We need to talk about this and get on the same page as a team, as a family, so that when we go out into the world, we can arch be architects of a culture that changes the world. Amen. And I know it could go unsaid, but it must be said that racism is wrong. And racism is not simply wrong because, uh, because it's wrong. Like racism, it's actually, it's like anti-God. It's anti-heaven. It's anti-Jesus. Like if, you're, if, if a person's ideal is one, one color of skin, like the kingdom of God is going to be a really terrible place for that person. The kingdom of God, if you read through Revelation specifically like four, five, six, and seven, like there, it's a colorful place. There's a lot of different people from a lot of different places. There's actually people from every place, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And heaven is calling out to all people. And part of the kingdom of God is not saying that we're just all the same. It's honoring differences, celebrating differences, and saying we might be different, but that doesn't change our value. It just shows each one of us more of who God really is. Because we are all made in the image of God. Every race, every ethnicity, every nation, tribe, and tongue shows the glory of God. In a conversation about something like race, I'm pretty sure I have a 100% chance of offending somebody. Maybe even a 100% chance of offending everybody at some point. <laughs> That'd be interesting. 
But the good thing is that my goal this morning in talking about this, our goal in talking about this isn't to like please anybody and it's not also not to, the goal isn't to offend anybody. Uh, like I'm not here to agree with anyone in particular or disagree with anyone in particular. I'm not here to say what you may want me to say or not say what you don't want me to say and I'm for sure not here to tell you my opinion on all of these things. Um, because uh, I think dinner tables make much more effective mediums for opinion sharing than do pulpits or social media platforms. So that's not what we're going for here this morning. Opinions are not what is needed in the world. You can find plenty of them everywhere you look. We need Jesus. And my goal is to preach the gospel of the kingdom this morning, the good news of the kingdom of God. And I believe if we can do that as a people with a heart to make others great, we might just see a culture created that somewhat reflects the glory of God on earth as it is in heaven. I had a good friend call me one time. He said, in a war, there are lots of battles, but you can only fight the battle right in front of you. And I know this morning, one of the reasons this can be so hard to talk about is that you can never talk about everything. I mean, we have such a small window. We have such a, I, just a small person. Like, we could never talk about everything. And so I just want to say, you know, maybe we could just unify over being able to, to fight and build what we're able to talk about, knowing that we're never going to be able to talk about everything. And just because something may go unsaid or unmentioned doesn't mean it's not valuable. I just don't want our inability to talk about everything to keep us from talking about something, right? We got to go somewhere, even though we may not be able to get everywhere. And the truth this morning is when we learn something from Jesus, he's pretty good at pretty much making it apply to everything else in our life too. So when we learn something about something, God can usually multiply it in our life and the application of it. So can we dive into the word of God this morning? Awesome. Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. I should have told you that earlier so you had more time to go there. Uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to read a story that uh, if you've been in church, you've heard it. If you haven't been in church, you've also probably heard it. And uh, we're going to read verses 25 through 37 of Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading as you turn there this morning. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer, uh, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But... He, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? It's a relevant question. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place, the Levite saw the man on the side of the road, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when the Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Story of the Good Samaritan. Nothing new to all of us, but just as relevant today as it has ever been. 
Jesus, like us today, when he was alive on the earth, he was living in the midst of a very volatile social environment. Uh, there was corrupt politics all over the place. There was a tension between different socioeconomic economic backgrounds. Different classes were at odds with each other. Different ethnicities were at odds with each other. And there was a lot of racism going on in Jesus' day. Uh, the Romans had come into town. They had taken everything over. And they were, you know, doing what Ro the Romans did in the middle of taking over the whole world. And uh, so, so the Jews were at odds with the Romans. And not only were they kind of at odds with the Romans, the Jews were kind of at odds with just about everybody. And especially they were at odds with the Romans and especially this other kind of very different than the Romans. The Romans were strong and taking over their culture. But they were, the Jews were also at odds with these groups of people called the Samaritans from Samaria. And it wasn't because they were strong. It was just mainly because they didn't like them. And uh, they, they didn't like what they brought into the culture. And they didn't like a lot of different simple things about these people. So they were, they were at odds. So much to the point that Jews hated Samaritans so much that even when, uh, you know, when a, a Jew was trying to go from kind of one part of the Jewish nation to another part of the Jewish nation, if it would be faster to go through Samaria, they would still just go around the whole, the whole city, the whole plot of land that the Samaritans lived on. They just, let's just go around. I don't even want to go through that part of town. I don't even want to cross those tracks, as somebody might be able to say. I don't know if you can imagine people avoiding each other just because of things like that, but that's the world that Jesus was living in. And in this charged social, religious, and racist climate, a Jewish lawyer here in Luke chapter 10 stands up to talk to a Jewish Jesus. And he asks him, what does it take to receive eternal life? They talk a little bit about the law. You know, they have that little dialogue that we read there. Jesus tells them to do what the law says, love God, love people. And the guy says, yeah, I do all of that. Um, and then so Jesus says, well, okay, well, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And the guy says, well, who, who is my neighbor? It says he's seeking to justify himself. I don't know if you've ever tried to justify yourself, but I sure know I have. Like, okay, you want to love people, that's fine. But like, which people? Can I be honest in church? So to define neighbor, this word neighbor, Jesus tells a parable. He would tell stories like this that uh, weren't necessarily representative of actual things that really happened, but they were sort of physical stories to communicate spiritual truths, you know, so they're, they're sort of allegorical in nature, and he told a story about a Jewish guy. He's going down the road to Jericho. He gets robbed, he gets beaten, and he gets left for dead. And Jesus continues the story. The Jewish man is laying on the side of the road and a Jewish priest comes upon the Jewish man and sees him in pain, but steps aside and goes to the other side of the road and does not help the man. Then a Jewish Levite comes by the Jewish man on the side of the road and sees him laying there half dead. And instead of helping, crosses by on the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan comes. A Samaritan nobody comes by this Jewish man. He sees this Jewish man. He picks him up, he binds up his wounds, he takes him to the hospital, he pays his medical bills, comes back a few days later to check on the man and pick up whatever has been added to the tab. Jesus says, who do you think is the neighbor? And in trying to apply this parable to our lives today, I kind of want to run with this allegory theme that Jesus used with 
his parables. And um, I, I think that in applying it, it's going to be helpful to think about the individuals in this story, not simply as an individual, but maybe uh, something that these individuals might represent that would make sense to us in our world. So like I said, it's kind of a physical story to communicate a spiritual truth. So can we kind of go there? Like any Pilgrim's Progress fans? Okay. Any Lion King fans? Good. Just checking. It's my favorite movie on the planet. Anybody excited for the new one to come out? Should we all go? (laughs) So Jesus tells this story to the man. Jewish Jesus talking to this Jewish man tells a story. He says the man, so let's look at this man who gets robbed and uh, left for dead. We're going to give this guy a name. We're going to give this guy a name, the hurting one. Okay, so this guy, his name is the hurting one who, who in our culture, in our society, in our world, he's the one who's hurting. For one reason or another, he has been cast off to the side. He is in pain. He, uh, the, the, in the story, he's been robbed. He's been beaten. He's been stripped. He's been left for dead. And, and, and again, this is representing the truths of what can happen in life, that regardless of this, the reason that this man is hurting, his reality is that he is hurting. Something in life has happened. Something in life has beaten him up. Something in life has stripped him. Something in life has robbed him. Something in life has pushed him off to the side and left him there to fend for himself. So the hurting one is on the side of the road. And a priest comes down the road. Maybe we could name this priest systems. We'll name this priest systems. Maybe he could represent religious systems, philosophical systems, political systems. And, and when I say systems, I, I kind of was wrestling with this word because I'm not great with words all the time anyways, trying to figure out, okay, how, what's the word, try, what am I trying to communicate here? What I mean is like the part of, the parts, systems represent the parts of things that are actually detached from real life. So like the, what I'm trying to say is the ideas of something, just simply the concepts, the, the ideology behind things, the dogma, the theoretical conversations that we might have. They just kind of represent systems. What I mean is these things that, that we kind of maybe start the conversation uh, trying to talk about things that, that can serve people, but in the end, they just become things that people have to serve, that we serve, labels that we have to serve instead of using them to serve people, they become norms that we serve instead of being able to serve people. These systems, they, they come by and they, they happen upon this hurting one on the side of the road, but the systems walk by. The systems walked by. Maybe, maybe systems passed by this man because it did not care for the hurting one. Sometimes maybe a system doesn't work because it, it doesn't genuinely care about the hurting one. But, but maybe systems, maybe the priest, may, maybe our systems pass by the hurting one not because it does not care but because it cannot care for the hurting one. Systems walks by and does not help because systems... The the detached, the impersonal, the the theoretical, the abstract, conceptual ideas, the the things that we can pontificate on, but maybe maybe the the things that maybe start off helpful but become categories from which we actually start getting our very identity from, systems cannot help the man because systems cannot serve you until you serve it. A label walks by the man. Should I help the man? But the thing about labels is that a label can't help you until you help it, until you're part of it, until you contribute to it. We have these systems that we can live in. The Levite, 
he uh, comes by. And, and maybe the, the, the Levite, really obviously, if, if you know much of kind of Levites, they're in, in the law. And so I think that Levite can represent the law. We can name him the law. The law comes upon this hurting one. And he sees the hurting one, but he passes by. And maybe the law passed by the hurting one because it did not care about the hurting one. But I think it's possible that the law passed by the hurting one because it cannot care for the hurting one. What I mean by that is that you cannot legislate healing. You cannot legislate restoration. You can't legislate a wound shut. The law matters. The law is significant. The law is influential. But just like a hammer doesn't build a house until it gets put in the hand of a builder, the law cannot restore until it gets put in the hands of restorers. And then the Samaritan. We'll name him someone. Samaritan is someone. He, he comes by. He, uh, he represents, I believe, in this story, someone who simply is not the hurting one. He's just someone who's not that guy. Someone who might be from a different place from the hurting one. Someone who might look different than the hurting one. Someone who might even have some bad history with the hurting one. He might disagree with the hurting one. He might, for one reason or another, just simply not understand the hurting one and the hurting one's situation. But someone comes along the road and sees the hurting one and someone does something. He has compassion. He has compassion. Someone sees the hurting one and he's moved. The word compassion there that's used, it means there's this churning. Like in the depths, in the bowels of this man, he was churning when he saw the hurting one. He was moved. He had compassion. He was not moved because someone and the hurting one shared a systematic label or shared a systematic identity. He was not moved because he had an obligation by the law to have compassion on this man. He was not moved because of his similarities with the hurting one. He was not even moved because he particularly understood what situation the hurting one was in and why he was in the situation. He was simply moved because he was not the hurting one. He helped because he could help. And he could help because he wasn't the one on the side of the road. And simply by virtue of not being the one bleeding and left for dead on the side of the road, he found himself in a place of opportunity, this someone did. Someone had an opportunity. He, he had no say of, of how he got this place of opportunity. He, he didn't earn this place of opportunity. He didn't steal it. He wasn't at fault for it. It had nothing to do with him at all. It just was what it was. He had an opportunity. And he didn't reject it. He didn't reject his opportunity. Before he formed opinions, before he looked for reasons for why the man was on the side of the road, what maybe the man could have done differently to not find himself on the side of the road, what he could have still yet done differently to get himself up from the side of the road, before doing all of that, he just simply had compassion. And Jesus looks up and he says, go and do likewise. We're called to be architects of a culture of compassion. 
And we can do that. And uh, I just believe that Jesus tells this story to highlight um, what the priorities ought to be in our life when it comes to things that we don't understand, when it comes up to differences in our life. The priority over everything is always has to be compassion. And when we start having conversations about race and racial tensions and all of these things, we would all agree in saying we all have equal value, but there seems to be a lot of conversation about, okay, well, where do we go from there? How, how, do, we, how do we change things? How do we make things better? Why are things the way that they are? And those are all relevant conversations, but those conversations can only happen in a beneficial way when they're built on top of compassion. As over the last, especially the last handful of years, if so many things have been right in front of all of our faces and the racial tensions that we have in our country right now, I feel like I, I, I noticed, and, and I felt like what God started to speak to me at least about one time was the difference between truth and facts. The difference between truth and facts, because there's so many conversations happening when an injustice happens, when when somebody experiences something that, that they don't think is fair, or when a conversation's trying to happen, the, the conversation immediately jumps to what are the facts? And if we can all know the facts, then we can figure out exactly why things are the way they are, what the situation currently is right now, what we should do next, and where we should go from here. If we could just all agree on the facts. The systems and laws, they, they, they focus on facts. Who did what? What fault lies where? How do we make systematic and legislative adjustments going forward? All relevant questions in different situations. But those conversations need to happen. They, they, they need to have value, but they have to have the origin of compassion. In every, if every situation was easy, was as easy as getting to the bottom of something, was as easy as getting the facts straight, I remember asking this question just thinking, if it was that easy, if all we needed was the facts, why is this so hard? How, if all we needed was the facts, how do, how do we, whoever we is, you know, like this, how does this person and that person continue to have completely opposite conclusions from the same court cases? From the, how, how does this person and that person continually see completely different things in the same statistics or the same studies. If it was just about finding the facts, why is it that we all and this person and that person continually have different opinions about the same events? If it was just about the facts, how can we all agree on this value thing but still have so much tension? If it was as easy as finding A plus B equals C, why can't we just do that? I believe that compassion focuses more on the truth than on the facts. And the facts matter, but I think that as the people of God, we are called to prioritize the truth over the facts of any given situation. What I mean is that when these conversations happen, when we come across somebody who is hurting, the facts do matter, but what matters first is the truth. That regardless of the facts, the truth is that this person is hurting. Regardless of the facts, the truth is that people are scared. Regardless of the facts, the truth is that people are mourning. 
Regardless of the facts, people have lost friends and fathers and friends and family. Regardless of the facts, we need to work together. There's the truth that people are having a hard time. And that matters way more than the facts. Not saying the facts don't matter. We need to dig into that stuff, but we have to have conversations in the context of compassion, my friends. And I believe that if we can bring this piece of the puzzle to the world that we're living in, we can see things turned upside down. We will see conversations diffused. We will see tensions lowered. We will see agreements happen. We will see relationships built. We will see communities come together if we can start with compassion. Because when everything's about the facts, it gives us a lot of things to fight about. I believe God is calling us as people to reach out to the hurting one, period. Reach out to the hurting one. Regardless of color, background, or creed, we are called to show compassion. And I don't know how this message is coming off. I want to reference something I said at the beginning that I'm so thankful that I'm standing in a room that doesn't need this from like a nobody in here has compassion. I'm just trying to let, I'm just trying to get us all on the same page and give us language for where we go from here, right? Like, we're, I, I would look out at you and say, you're doing this. You're great at this. And we all need to keep working on it because things like offense come in. Things like we don't understand come into these conversations and these things make us want to pull up our elbows, right, and fight for things. I, I know that we've all, we've all, regardless of your color, you've been mislabeled. And, and, it, and, and that stinks and that hurts and it's offensive and it's discouraging. And you're like, no, I, I, I'm not trying to be like that. I'm, I'm trying to actually, help. you know, like it's easy to get pushed out of compassion. Am I right? Like, it's super easy to run up to a situation and be like, oh, I'm going to be compassionate here. And then somebody says something or punches you in the face, and you're like, whoa. What? I'm, I'm just being honest, I guess. For me, I, I, I know that feeling. But we're the people of God. This isn't about us. And no matter what anybody else could do or label us as, that person always has value. And we are called to be cultural architects. And we build a culture on top of compassion. And if we can be dedicated to compassion... No matter the cost to ourselves, no matter the cost of us being mislabeled or all of those sort of things, we can, we can do that. If we can prioritize compassion over our political party, if we can prioritize compassion over our racial or our race, if we can uh, prioritize compassion over do I understand or not, do I agree or not, would I hold up that same sign or not, do I know all the facts or not, do I understand the history or not, if we can prioritize compassion, we're going to see some bridges built. And that can change the world. And as much as all of this that we're talking about applies to the racial tensions, tensions that we're experiencing in the United States right now, Jesus did not tell this story just so that he could address racial tensions in the United States of America in 2019. The truth is that we, ha we, we have a problem, and it's way more than skin deep. We have a problem way more than skin deep. If it was, if it was a political problem, we could vote on it and start over and rebuild from there. If it were a moral problem, we could legislate it and we could enforce it. If it were an ideological problem, we could fight about it and somebody could be right and then we could move on from there. 
If it was a, if it was a racial problem, then we, we could just stay on other sides of the room or something, if that really was the problem. But that's not the problem. The problem is that we have a problem that goes much deeper than our skin. We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. Everyone in our world, every single one of us in our world together, we have individually and together a sin problem. And Jesus didn't tell the story of the Good Samaritan just to tell you what to go out and do. He told us that story to show us who he is. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him at his cost. When you are the hurting one, this is why Jesus is telling us the stories. We all know what it's like to be the hurting one, the one broken, robbed, and left alone, and on the side of the road of life, left for dead without hope and without somebody who can help us by disappointments, by failures, by decisions, by things we chose, by things we didn't choose, by abuses, by all sorts of number of things. We have been on the side of the road, and we all know what it feels like to be passed over, not just by things that don't care, but by things that cannot care. They cannot do what we need them to do. People who cannot do what we need them to do. And God sees you, the hurting one, on the side of the road. And he does not pass by. He comes and he says, at my cost, I will be moved in the guts of who I am. And I will reach out my hand and show mercy. I will have compassion. I will have compassion. And as Christians, regardless of the color of your skin, you are a person of opportunity in the world that you are living in. You are a person of opportunity, that, an opportunity that goes way more than skin deep. I know the politicized words that are going through your head. Is he saying this or that? I'm saying this. You are a person of opportunity, not because of the color of your skin, but because of the blood going through your veins. We are people of opportunity because we were the hurting one, but now we're not. And that means we have an opportunity. This is God's point, that God wants his people to rise up. Rise up. And embrace your opportunity. You were the one on the side of the road, but now you've been healed. You've been set free. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. You are not called to be right about everything. You are not called to understand everything. You are not called to know everything, but you are called to compassion. Can we be a people of compassion? that let our guts be moved, not by what we understand or don't understand or systems or laws or all these things, but simply that when we suddenly see somebody hurting, we understand I have the opportunity to have compassion. I have the opportunity to listen. I have the opportunity to ask a question. I have the opportunity to pick you up and help bind up your wounds and bring you to the hospital where you can meet the great physician and he can come and bind up your wounds. And if it costs me some time, I can do it. If it costs me some comfort, I'll do it, if it costs me us disagreeing on something or not caring about who I voted for or didn't vote for, I will do it because I am moved with compassion. Will we show a hurting world what God does when he sees the hurting one? That's what matters. That's what matters. That's what matters. The world is not looking for white people to do this and black people to do this and brown people to do this and red and yellow and all the other, <laughs> am I offending everybody yet? <laughs> God, or the world's not looking for all of them to do something. The world is looking for the people of God to do something. And that something is have compassion. Have compassion. Submit everything to the one who had compassion on you 
Let him move inside of you. You don't have the right answers. You don't have the right thing to say. You don't have to do it perfectly. (laughs) I think about the Samaritan. I wonder if he had ever bound up a wound before. You know, it doesn't say he was an EMT and praise the Lord, just the right guy came by. He just gave it a shot. He just gave it a shot. The world's looking for somebody to stand up and say, I'll give it a shot. I'll ask a question, I'll listen, I'll try to understand. But most of all, I'll just prioritize who you are by the grace of God over anything you're saying, over anything that we don't agree on. I just know you have value and if you're hurting, I just want you to know I care. And I wanna help with that. Can we stand up as we close this morning? We're gonna worship. And uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter seven, Verse 14, the Lord is speaking to his people. And I believe this verse is so powerful. In this country, in this time, on this Sunday, talking about this topic, what do I do? Where do we go from here? How how do I have compassion? Where do we start? Jesus says this to his people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. (laughs) As much as the world needs us, they really need Jesus. They need Jesus in us, through us, flowing through us. That's what the world is looking for. And God is looking at you this morning. God is looking at us this morning. Not because of your your skin color, not because of what opportunity you do have or don't have or privilege you do or don't have or political party you do or don't belong to. God is looking at you as his child this morning. And I believe that he has an inviting smile on his face and arms open wide and also some urgency in his voice when he just says, I know, you're right, the world you're in, it's hurting. It's hurting, it's been torn up by all of these things. It's been ripped up by all of these things. People have been stripped from this and that. It is hurting and the Lord says to you and to us this morning, child, if my people. God, what are we gonna do? And he says, if my people, if my people, if my people will humble themselves, if they will seek my face, if they will pray, if they will turn from their wicked ways, I will heal the land. God has given us an opportunity to bring healing to our world through the humility of our hearts. And I believe that it's important and that it's time for the people of God to repent. It's a time for us to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek the face of God, to repent and turn from our wicked ways. And that could mean a couple of things. That could be you this morning, and you're like, wow, there's something in my heart. There's something that will not let me go to compassion. I haven't chosen compassion. Maybe you have something you need to repent of this morning. But what he also is talking about in these verses is he's calling these people, saying, you have the opportunity to repent for the sake of those who won't. It's this thing called intercession. You have the opportunity to humble yourself. And just like Jesus took on your sin, you can bring the sins of the people in your life and say, God, I repent for them. Lord, would you have mercy on on them through me? God, I'm I'm humbling myself. I'll stand right here and, and, and bear the shame. I'll stand right here and bear the blame. I'll stand right here. I repent. God has given us as his people the opportunity to bring to repentance the city and the world and the nation that we live in. He says, I want to heal them if you come to me. 
can we repent this morning? Maybe you need to repent for you. Maybe you need to repent for somebody in your mind that you just wish would be free. Maybe you're just saying, God, if you, could, if you really could move on the land because of my humility of heart, I will bow my knee. And I will repent. And I will humble myself. And I will seek my face. God's not looking for you to have it figured out. God's looking for you to say, okay, I don't know what it means, but I'll be humble enough to show up and say, God, would you heal my land? And we're going to sing a song this morning. And as I am about to pray, you might be here this morning. You've never given your life to Jesus. And you know you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn from some wicked ways. And you need to be made new. I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus this morning. The front is wide open. We're going to have people pray for you. I want you to come up. If you're here this morning and you have sin in your life that you know you need to repent of, you've given your life to Jesus, but you know that if God's going to bring reconciliation through you, it has to start with you repenting of some things. There's no shame in it. There's only freedom in repentance. God's got nothing to beat you up for. Jesus bore it all. Now just come and unload it. Let it off and let him fill you with the spirit of God. You might be here this morning and you're saying, I'll, I'll do it. I'll repent for a nation. I'll repent for a city. I'll repent for a neighborhood, for a race, for a system, for some law. I'll repent. Lord, if you really could do it, I'll do it. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I want to be somebody who will just humble myself. I'll seek the face of God. I'll pray. And I'll let God heal the land through me. I want to invite you too to come to the front this morning. It's a wide open front. You're ready to move. And God's ready to move through you. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want to invite you, if you're in any of those categories, if you just want God to do something in your life this morning, I want you to come up to the front as we worship. You may get on your knees. You may do whatever. I don't really care. Let's just let God move through us this morning. Amen. Jesus, we love you, and we invite your presence right now. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would move us in the bowels of our beings right now. God, would you move your people towards compassion for those who are hurting, for those who are broken, for those who are lost, for those who are in sin, for those who are oppressed, for those suffering injustice, Lord. Would you move us right now? God, I'm asking for a fire in our bellies right now. In Jesus' name, God. If you could use our repentance to move on a nation, then move us to repentance right now, Father. We thank you for a mighty love, God, that, that, that brought you out of heaven, that put you on a tree for us. We celebrate you this morning, that you would see us the hurting one. You would reach out and have compassion for us. Would you show us how to do it? In the mighty name of Jesus, we humble ourselves. We seek your face this morning, and we repent, God. Would you come? And would you heal our land in the mighty name of Jesus?